It might be a bye week, but oh yes, Stephen Brooks of 24-7 Sports still drops by to talk about what he saw in Saturday's game, what's going on during the bye week, and yes, we're already talking about the big matchup in two weeks. Let's go. Our Locked On Spartans, your daily podcast on the Michigan State Spartans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is my favorite group of people of all time. Yes, the viewers, the listeners of Lockdown Spartans. Also joined by one of my favorite people of all time, Stephen Brooks of 24-7 Sports. We're going to get to him in a hot segment, but before that, hey, thank you so much for making us your first listen every single day here on the Locked On Podcast Network. We got a lot of news to get to. Right off the top here, hey, that game in two weeks in Ann Arbor, 7.30 p.m. kickoff on ABC. Number two, yes, the first preseason AP Top 25 poll dropped for basketball today. Michigan State, not in the top 25. Uh, if you added up all the votes, they would be ranked 31st if, if there was such a thing. And then third of all, uh, Jacoby Winman, three-time Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week. First ever Spartan to do that in a single season. Steven, let's start with that guy right there. Jacoby Winman sliding back to linebacker. And we're also going to tie in the game in two weeks as well. Steven, hot seat time right off the bat. You ready for this? You, you sitting down? Of course. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready for anything when I come on here with you, man. Well, it's showtime. Steven, is Jacoby Winman going to be the most talented player on the field in two Saturdays for either team? For either team. Let's talk about it. Let's get right wow. to it. Well, oh, yeah, you like that one? Yeah, that's uh, right. We're going. I, I'm going to – no, no, he's not. No, no, actually. Because he's not. I don't even think he's the most talented on MSU's team right now. And then, you know, you guys – are you just saying defensive player or, I mean – Eddie, you should all – yeah, no. Are you talking about no, Bryce Berenger? You, I think even, you're probably talking Bryce Berenger, actually, aren't you? I, I see right through you. Bryce Berenger's in that conversation, of course. Uh, great at his yeah. craft. Uh, Jaden Reed, I think Keon Coleman has something to say about that. Mozzie sure. Smith over at Michigan, I think, has something to say about that. Um, and Blake Corum, maybe even, you know, there's maybe uh, he, he'd, he'd be in that short list for sure. I mean, uh, you know, no doubt it was impressive what he did against Wisconsin and, and all that. Uh, and he, if he wins it one more time, I just realized I got an email from Michigan State. He'd be the first ever four time. Uh, winner of Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week. He's one of six oh, wow. ever to do it three times in a single season. If he wins it for a fourth time, that'll that'll make history. Now, going back to the game Saturday, talking about the defense here, um, what was the most impactful thing that happened to Michigan State on Saturday between these three options? Xavier Henderson returning, Jacob Slade returning, or, hey, Jacoby Winman sliding back to that linebacker position. What do you think helped Michigan State the most if you could choose just one of those three incredible things that happened for Michigan State. Yeah, obviously all three help, but just just choosing yeah. one, it's Winman at linebacker because that ties into the entire like like major shift that they made and played, you know, 4-3 almost that entire game. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's really interesting because that's a I think that's going to stick around a while, you know, and I've heard calls, you know, people saying that they should go back to that and, and whatnot even though they haven't been doing that in, in several years you know, consistently other than just here and there and whatnot. Um, and look, I just, I still don't agree with that because I don't understand, you know, there's no logic in taking a defensive back off the field for a, a bigger, slower linebacker against a team like gotcha. Washington, against an offense like Maryland, against an offense like Ohio State. So save me that. But in this game, it made sense. So you tip your hat to Scotty Hazleton and, and the defensive coaches because 
what does Wisconsin like to do? They let, they want to run, you know, line up double tight, bring a fullback out there and smash it right in your face. Uh, you know, Braylon Allen's a converted linebacker, you know, pushing 240, yep. 250 pounds. Um, and so it was the smart thing to do, you know, by, by bringing a bigger body in there, uh, playing three linebackers as much as they did. And Jacoby women just, he said afterward, you know, he felt he was said he was back at home, you know, at his position there. And man, it sure looked pretty, it sure looked like a pretty smooth transition for him with, with all the plays he was making. That first interception was, um, was Amazing. just textbook stuff. You know, I mean, he said he recognized the formation, knew the route was coming right away. And you see his athleticism to, to recover and make that play there and, and set up Michigan State's first touchdown. 11 tackles. And then, you know, the play of the game probably is that forced fumble. Um, as much as the touchdowns and, and some of the offensive clutch plays were important, that forced fumble in the second overtime period uh, can't be overlooked at all. So just the the, uh, the whole shift to a 4-3, I mean, I didn't see that coming necessarily, and, and it obviously worked out spectacularly. It was their best defensive performance yeah. against the Power 5 team. They held Wisconsin under 300 yards. They they gave up some big runs, but they weren't just getting gashed, just battered, you know, in the face mm-hmm. over and over and over the way Wisconsin wants to do. So – and I think it's good timing, you know, because you, 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 you trotted it out, uh, got some experience. I'm very curious about, you know, uh, how that was all implemented and, and how basic they really were behind the scenes to, to sort of make a major shift like that midseason. Yeah. But I think it's going to stick around a little bit because Michigan's built the same way in terms of being a ground and pound type of offense who wants to run it uh, straight at you. Mm-hmm. Illinois is built that same way. Those are the next two games. So I, right. I think people are probably going to be happy, and I, I assume that's going to be sticking around for a little while. Yeah, because I was going to say, like, th- does this sound like something that could be here for the long haul, or is it a game by game basis? Like, let's say Indiana rolls around, and you know they like to throw the ball seemingly ninety five times a game for whatever reason. Um, like, do we go back to the old, you know, two four, or how, how do you feel this this shakes out here long term? Yeah, I, I think you probably roll with it primarily at least through Michigan and Illinois, and then you know it's case by case after that probably. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, there are inherent advantages and you can you can laugh and point at all the numbers and statistics and everything and say that, you know, they don't play the four two five well. But just personnel wise, like you're going to want that um, versatility out there on the field against some of these uh, different types of offenses. So I would think that I don't I don't think this is a wholesale, you know, a, a marker, a line in the sand and say, all right, we're a four three team now moving forward. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I think it's just situational and, and it makes sense against these three opponents specifically. But uh, that's still sort of Scotty Hazelton's bread and butter. That's what he's you know implemented here for a reason. So I, I, true, I do think um, they'll still go back to the four-two-five uh, at some point. And keeping with the defense here, like the defensive line, also I thought had a superb game on Saturday. You know, maybe the best that we've seen them have all season. But specifically when it gets down to individual players, did anyone really stick out to you above anyone else, or do you think it was just a complete team effort there on that front? Uh, yeah, I thought Simeon Barrow and uh, Derek Harmon both flashed, you know, at times. Um, Jacob Slade, you know, of course, you, you felt his impact. And yeah. maybe his impact was those other guys having those plays because of the attention that he draws. Um, but, you know, I thought he just kind of had a, a yeoman, you know, uh, you know, head down worker type of day. I don't think he really flashed necessarily. I don't think he is like much like Xavier Henderson. Like Henderson was out there, but I think everybody could tell he wasn't still 100 percent. He was mm-hmm. able to play, able to give them something. And the most important thing he probably gave them was just his leadership and, uh, you know, his IQ out there and getting getting all the pieces in order, setting the table for everybody, just diagnosing things, the communication, all that stuff that was missing. Um, same way I think you saw with Slade. I don't think he was 100% necessarily, but still made an impact. Um, yeah, and like, I, like to your question, I thought Derek Harmon had a nice day, uh, has that early stop where he sheds a block and, and uh, you know, 
gets a stop for like no gain or one yard gain or something like that. And Simeon Barrow uh, came through on that uh, stunt, had the sack, and um, he's a really good player. He's just explosive. I think I think yeah. he could be a pro someday. We'll see about Harmon, but I think Barrow could be a pro. Um, interesting thing though, when you mentioned D line, like when Mel Tucker was talking about um, moving Winman to linebacker, he said that. You know, we moved him to D. He came here as a linebacker, of course. Everybody knows that. He yep. says we moved him to D end when we were thin at D end in training camp and needed some help there. And then he goes, but now we're a little better that we're a little deeper there. We got some guys back, and so we felt we could move him to linebacker. And right. that just doesn't compute. It because doesn't. <laughs> they don't have Jeff Prochowski, They don't have Chris right. Bogle, and they <laughs> lost Michael Fletcher in that game. Uh, I'm not even sure. Uh, did Avery Dunn suit up or Andor play? I don't know. He might not even have been there. You know, I, I mean, so. yeah. they started Michael Fletcher, who's hardly played all season, and Brandon Wright, who still, you know, isn't a prototypical fit for that position. So that 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 line didn't make any sense at all. I don't know why he couldn't just come out and say, yeah, we wanted to play three backers, right. one of our best ones, <laughs> right. and we wanted him in the box. I don't know why that's, like, uh, why that couldn't just be said. But uh, anyway, I just thought that was important to know. That's just kind of weird. Like, you, you don't – you're actually in worse shape now at defensive end depth-wise than, than you were in training camp when you moved him. So – I, uh, I can't play that one, but uh, yeah. Anyway, I do think they'll probably still run that uh, for at least the foreseeable future. There are a few things that look Mel Tucker did on Saturday night that didn't make a lot of sense. Uh, we'll maybe get to them in the next segment here, but hold on, Stephen. We're going to have you brag here for a little bit here because on signing day, you know, a few years ago, Derek Harmon, he he commits, he signs. I remember on this very show, I said, "Who's the diamond in the rough guy?" And you talked up. Derek Harmon above anyone else. You've been on the Derek Harmon hype train from day one. Uh, so two-part question. One, uh, you're a certified ball knower. Um, and you know, part two, like, what's it like to just be right about everything? You know, <laughs> like that's, You're on a roll. You, you know, are stock is high right now. Twice a day, high. something, something. You know how it goes. But, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I saw Derek at uh, MSU's camp and just without pads, uh, this was, I don't know if he was a, I think he was a junior at the time, maybe, but I think so, without yeah. pads, and of course he was massive. He was like twice the size that he is now. It's it's actually incredible seeing him out there because he doesn't look like the same guy at all. But yeah, he was just this massive human being, and he was obviously you're in there with no pads, but so he was winning like with technique though, and 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 hand fighting, and and just um, he actually had moves. He wasn't just using his mass to just roll guys back, you know, and win the one on ones. I was like, what am I missing here? Because he didn't really have like hardly any Big Ten attention. The previous mm-hmm. Michigan State coaching staff didn't really want anything to do with him. And I was like, I, I don't understand. And I saw him again at, at, at some other non-MSU camps the next summer. And I'm just like, again, what am I missing here? <laughs> and so I, I know his game tape, especially as a junior, like wasn't that good. But every time I saw him in camp settings, I was very impressed. And so then Mel Tucker and the crew come in and obviously, you know, recruiting priorities change and everything. And, and they liked him uh, pretty much right away. And I, I was glad to see somebody, you know, picked up. I think Purdue was, was in there on him, but like not okay. many Big Ten schools uh, wanted him for whatever reason. He played at a lower level at Detroit Loyola, but yep. I thought uh, I thought there was a lot to work with there. I, and from the first time I saw him, I was like, this guy's, this guy's a player. He's worth taking a shot on. See, and this is why we have you on every week, because you know a lot more than a lot of people do about the game of football that we all know yeah, and love. I appreciate the shout out, though, because I probably said a lot of dumb stuff and then stuff that no. hasn't gone right this year already. So and thanks for thanks for giving me one win on the, on the ledger here. <laughs> I don't even think that's true, to be honest. I'm, I'm not even yeah. like talking you up right now. I, I don't even think that's true. But hey, you know, if, if that's what you got to tell yourself to stay humble, that, that's what you got to tell yourself, you know. <laughs> um, hey, 
we're going to be picking your brain here about the offense here in a hot second. I need to know your thoughts about Peyton Thorne because I, I can't go 12 minutes without asking someone about how they thought about Peyton Thorne's performance. But first, just need to talk to people's ears off about Upside. That's right. We're talking about one of the best apps in the business right now because from cringing at the pump to getting an eye-popping check at your favorite restaurant, inflation is hitting us all where it hurts. And my goodness gracious, does it really hurt? That's why I started using Upside. Upside is an incredible app for anyone who buys gas, groceries, or dines out because with every purchase, hey, I'm earning cash back thanks to Upside. To get started, it's simple. Download the free Upside app. Use my promo code LOCKED. That's it. Just locked. And that's going to get you $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. Next, claim an offer. Whatever you're buying on Upside, just do it. Check in at the business, pay as usual with a credit or debit card, and get paid. In comparison to credit card rewards or loyalty programs, you can earn three times more cash back with Upside, and Upside users users are earning more than a million dollars every week. That's probably why they have a 4.8 star rating on the App Store. So download the free Upside app and use promo code LOCKED to get $5 more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. One more time, that's $5 more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more using promo code LOCKED on Upside. Also, Hey, let's buy some farmland, people. What are we waiting for? Let's really embrace the Big Ten culture here. When it comes to land sales, it pays to have experts in your corner. And Acre Pro Midwest Farm Group are your local farmland specialist. With decades of experience in Corn Belt agriculture, no one knows the market better. Whether you're doing a 1031 exchange, expanding your operation, or selling a row crop farm, your local Acre Pro agent will walk the land with you and ensure the deal is done right. And great service is just the beginning. AcrePro provides unparalleled land data, including soil ratings, elevation, flood zones, and land valuation across parcels so that you can get the full picture up front and be confident in the entire land market. Your agent will cater to each of your individual needs and help you navigate the complexities of buying and selling land so that the process is made simple. Experience the ease of AcrePro by working with farmland specialists like Kyle Rule, Brady Hammond, Neil Herr, and Kyle Spray. Visit AcrePro.com. Or call 765-587-3185 and talk to your local land expert today. Again, 765-587-3185. That's Acre Pro Midwest Farm Group. And as we get Stephen Brooks of 24-7 Sports back on the show here, hey, just want to thank you all for making us your first listen every single day. Please rate, review, subscribe, comment below if you're watching on YouTube. Do whatever makes you happy because I'm about to do what makes me happy, and that's you know talk to Stephen about more MSU football and ask him what he thought of Peyton Thorne's performance. Was it a good second half by him? Did he turn something on in the second half? Or, Stephen, was it simply just he did the throw the ball high in the air to Keon Coleman and Jaden Reed play? Like, it was just that simple for him. Like, how do you grade Peyton Thorne's performance on Saturday? Yeah, I thought it was fine, solid. You know, it was nothing, it was nothing spectacular. Obviously, it wasn't awful. I, I thought it was – I thought what Peyton Thorne did is, like, what they need out of Peyton Thorne. Like, I think it's clear mm-hmm. at this point, like, he's he's just sort of a, an average to above average to sometimes good, you know, college quarterback. Fair. But mostly he just needs to be the guy that doesn't make mistakes It manages the game, you know, as, as much as I know that has a negative perception, um, you know, uh, t- attached to it. But, like, he just, especially on this offense, like, he, he just needs to let the, the weapons be weapons. And that goes for him. That goes for Jay Johnson and just the, really the entire offensive operation there. You know, yep. I mean, uh, we saw what Keon Coleman could be, you know, on several occasions there. We saw Jaden Reed make big plays. It was really the whole uh, Jaden Reed experience. I mean, when you had the punt return, which, of course, gets called back. But, 
he had some short underneath stuff that he's breaking tackles and, and you know, slithering through the defense there. Of course, he goes up top for the game winner. We saw, we've seen that, you know, a dozen times at least oh, yeah. now. Um, so that was really that whole package. Then you see Malik Carr, you know, uh, come out of nowhere and, and have that huge catch and run. So, yeah, I, I thought he allowed the weapons to be weapons. And, like, that's what he has to do now. I don't think, uh, to my what I was saying earlier, um, I think we're probably past the point of, like, expecting him to be this, like, to take this step to be this like elite, you know, upper sure. tier quarterback that can just win games on his on his shoulders, you know. Um, but just manage the game, make the right calls, and look that. And, and you know, that's why that's why you don't bench a, a veteran guy like that uh, for for a young guy because that game winning touchdown that was an audible at the line that yep. uh, Peyton said he saw a linebacker come down. He said Wisconsin was giving them a look they hadn't seen all year or I'm sorry all day. Uh, they hadn't seen it on film. And he didn't know if this linebacker was coming. He didn't know if they were they were bluffing and somebody was going to come from the other side. And whatever it was, he didn't like the look. And he said their original play probably wasn't going to uh, probably wasn't going to end up doing very well. So he checks it up, uh, gets the protection right, and gets Jaden going to the end zone. And one on one, they're going to take that all day. So uh, that that just so you know, like I said, that, that shows why you why there's value to have that experienced guy who's been in those battles and he has a lot of freedom. You know, and we all know he's smart. Um, he has a lot of freedom to, to make those uh, checks and calls at the line there. So, yeah, that, I think that's the path forward for this offense. You know, when the offensive line is not a unit you can count on any given week, I thought they were mm-hmm. solid for the most part uh, against Wisconsin, but it's going to be a mixed bag, I think, at best, you know, going forward. Yep. That's what this offense has to rely on is, is those playmakers making plays, I think. And, you know, just hanging on to that offensive line right there, because look, to me, it looked like they had maybe their best day protecting Peyton Thorne in in a very long time, at least ever since they've started playing power five teams this season. But hey, look, the the, the trenches is your bread and butter. So I want to defer to the expert here. Like, is is that correct? Was that the best they protected Peyton Thorne in your opinion so far this year? Uh, I don't know about the best. It was it was pretty good. I mean, only gave Mm -hmm. up two sacks, but like, um, yeah, they still. And they still like just simple, basic movement, simple, basic stunts. Just one guy goes under, one guy goes over the top, like the type of stuff I was doing in middle school. Um, <laughs> like that stuff still baffles them way too often. And they just can't get that right. You know, you don't, so you don't even have to send a lot of bodies yeah. at Michigan State to get pressure. If you just a little movement, do a just a, an elementary stunt, that baffles them way too often. But on the whole, yeah. And they have been better at pass blocking than run blocking this year. I mean, Nine tackles for loss. That speaks to them not really moving the line of scrim- uh, line of scrimmage on run plays. But I, I thought they protected Peyton Thorne decently uh, for most of the year. Ohio State really was was not that. But I remember at Washington, I thought he had some some clean pockets. Minnesota was there. It was there at times. So I don't know about best. It was up there though. And it's just. Okay. But just yeah, it's just not a unit you can count on though. Even if they're they're solid there and they take a few steps forward, let's say like when you can't run the ball consistently and knowing that every single week. You know, even even at a at a average sort of pace, then um, everything else is just becomes very hard. And there's no coaches like speaking this week, right? Not not in the bye week. Like there's no media availability. Am I getting Nothing that right? This week. Okay, perfect. So we're gonna do some role play right now. I'm gonna act like you're Jay Johnson because uh, I don't have a good answer for this question, and maybe you don't either. But we'll find out. What was the point of running all of that tempo on Saturday? Like, hey, great! Like 15 yard play. Let's all hurry up to the line really quick so we can run a play that's going to go one yard at that. I feel like the tempo plays they ran were getting 1.2 yards per play. What was so fake Jay Johnson? What was the point of running tempo the entire day on Saturday when it was just not working? 
Uh, well, I, I guess I'd have to go back and uh, see which parts you were talking about. But I mean, I, I do remember a few. Um, Drove me crazy. In, 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 in theory, you know, I like the idea of going hurry up after an explosive game. You know, you've got the defense rattled. Hurry up and get up there. Uh, you know what you're going to run and just just go with it. But when the execution isn't there, you know, and especially if, it, if you're going to call it some type of run play after a, after a chunk gain, like, you know, that's all that all that momentum you just gathered. You just sort of hand it right back, uh, you know, when you're getting stuffed with line of scrimmage or, or whatnot. Right. Um, yeah. You know, look, I didn't think uh, Jay Johnson had his best day. You know, I still think he's a good coordinator. I know I've got a lot of people in my mentions uh, saying otherwise and saying sure. he can, <laughs> he, he can, you know, ride out on the same train with Scotty Hazleton at the end of the year and this and that. I still remember all the good things he did last year. And look, maybe. Maybe I'll be proven wrong on this. Maybe I'll maybe I'll change my opinion because I think Kenneth Walker was an easy button for everybody to just mm-hmm. push and, and it made everybody look good. Everybody, I'm saying. That obviously yeah. includes Jay Johnson. So I don't think he's adjusted super well without that easy button. But there's also folks, I think, that want him to just never call a run play the rest of the season. And like that just doesn't work. You have to you have to force a balance there uh, to a degree and and just try to keep people honest, even if you know you know, what the result's probably going to be. So the real thing, you know, is I don't understand. The tempo thing, that's a that's a legitimate grievance. But the thing I don't understand, I'm sure everybody listening agrees, like that last possession of regulation was bonkers to me. Um, you know, I wasn't watching it super intently live, so I didn't have the greatest because my head was buried in my laptop trying to figure out, trying to put two or three cohesive words together um, for an article. Yeah. But I went back and watched it yesterday, and it, it, it does not make any sense at all. Um, in terms of calling the two runs there, you know, they were, see, I don't have it in front of me, but they were on like the 36 with like 42 seconds left. Maybe I have those risks. Maybe it was a 42, 36. They're in Wisconsin territory with under a minute to go and two timeouts, and they never threw anything deep, uh, never threw anything toward the end zone. You know, they did the two runs, and then they did that weird bubble screen to Jaden Reed, uh, switching the side of the field, which I don't know if that's what they wanted to do or not for the field goal, but I just don't understand, uh, you know, Jay Johnson's never really been afraid to be aggressive in big moments before. So I don't, and in the way your field goal kicking has gone this year, I don't understand playing for that, you know, and <laughs> the way your defense played. They can't played, you even just hit an extra point with certainty. Every single time they line up for an extra point, your heart stops. Why are we settling for a 50-yarder all of a sudden? That drove you me off. Snapper situation with, you know, you don't have your main guy in there, so... Uh, there's a lot going on there that I didn't really understand, you know, and at least try to try a pass toward the sideline to get yourself a little closer, try a shot to the end zone, maybe to try to win the game. Like the way your defense was playing, do you really want to go trade blows in overtime and and trust me? Yeah. I I don't, I don't know. The defense did have a a nice day. I'm not trying to go back on what I said there, but like they just gave up the decisive uh, drive, you know, right before that and the mere speed lets the guy run right behind him and catch the tying touchdown. So like I just didn't understand playing for the field goal A, but but then the way that they played for the field goal B like did not make much sense to me either. And I tried to ask Mel Tucker about it afterward, and uh, he didn't very didn't give a really satisfactory answer, and just said, "Hey, we were trying to score a touchdown, didn't work." And then uh, there was something with a snap on the field goal, but I didn't think. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'm sure all those guys wish they could have that one back. We're gonna come back to that in a hot second really quick, Steven. But uh, first, we need to talk thrilling moments presented by Nissan right now. And look, there's no shortage of thrilling moments from Saturday's win. That's right. Got to remind ourselves of that sometimes. State won that game, uh, regardless of, you know, our, our tone 
last few minutes there. But hey, our partners at Nissan have worked with us to create a new segment across the Lockdown College Network titled Thrilling Moments, where we highlight the most exciting play from the Spartans weekend game or throughout the history of our alma mater. This week's thrilling moment from the Spartans game was, take your pick really, was it the first Keon Coleman touchdown? Was it the second Keon Coleman touchdown? Was it Jaden Reed saying, hey, I got single coverage. Let's just end the game right here. Or, hey, this is also a thrilling moment too. Seeing Bryce Berenger throw the ball 40 yards downfield, my God, he's got a, a, a cannon for a leg and he's also got a cannon for an arm. And, uh, hey, it wasn't a blocked field goal return for a touchdown. It wasn't a pick six. So that was pretty thrilling too. The fact that, well, okay, I guess we are going to overtime, but oh, no shortage of thrilling moments ever from our Spartans. This segment has been inspired by the thrilling new designs featured across Nissan's new lineup of vehicles. Pursue what thrills you in the all new Frontier, Armada, or Pathfinder today. Available now at NissanUSA.com. Stephen Brooks, he's uh, he's still here. He's back. This is incredible. Once again, sticking around for all three segments. Um, I shouldn't be this wound up and riled up and upset after a win, especially when that win breaks a four-game losing streak. Look, I, I was starved for a win. I know our listeners were starved for a win, but still it's like, what on earth was that at the end of the game there? We all we talked about it, obviously, but I, I like where you left off with the press conference. What was the general vibe of like the press conference, either with Mel Tucker, the team? Was it like relief? Was it, like what, what was the vibe um, after the game there for the team, the people that actually matter, not just me, a lunatic fan? Yeah, I think there was a lot of relief. Um, I mean, like you said, like we could very easily be on here talking about Michigan State on a five-game losing streak. Like, oh no, I wouldn't easily. be here. Oh, oh, if they lost that game, I would have cold quit the show. That that, that would have <laughs> that would have been the one that broke me, especially the way that it ended. Like, no, I I would not yeah. be here right now. I mean, I'd like, like a... you know, though, like they, that very much could have happened that way. I mean, players yeah. made plays, and almost in spite of. Like, like we talked about some of those yes. decisions. I mean, yes. Keon Coleman going up there, like that's just a player making a play, using all of his physical athletic gifts and everything. And, you know, tip of the cap to Jay Johnson to call that trick play uh, right away in overtime and, and yeah. uh, have the guts and everything do that. They said that one didn't actually work out very well in practice when they, when they implemented that. <laughs> they said it hardly ever worked uh, against Great. the scout defense. So, uh, you know, that takes some some guts and some faith. Uh, yeah, I think overall the mood was was just, uh, you know, a relief and like a man, like, geez, like sort of a relief for sure, but just sort of a, a determined, uh, you know, like, thank God, you know, and like, let's get this thing back on track. I think it was pretty mature. You know, they weren't acting like they won the Super Bowl, at least in the media room sure. with us. You know, I think they celebrated pretty good behind closed doors, as they should, you know, as you should every time you could pick up a mm-hmm. win. It's, it's it's hard to do. But, um, yeah, so, the, you know, uh, yeah, it was a lot about uh, – you know, so I asked Mel Tucker about the, the last possession. It was near the end of the press conference. It was one of the last two or three questions, I think. And uh, like I said, he didn't really address it and didn't really say, you know, didn't really say, yeah, we screwed this or that. And he just said, we tried to go for the touchdown. It didn't work. I think play calling would maybe suggest they weren't going for the touchdown. But uh, I was trying to, you know, just in fairness, I was trying to ask, like, at what point do you change the calculation? Because I'm sure when they got the ball to start the possession, yeah, they want to go score a touchdown. But it was very obvious the way they were managing things with the timeouts and the play calling that they were not when they were no longer going for the touchdown. So I was curious, like, when that occurred, how you what those conversations were like, um, and then specifically on the field goal attempt, like what went wrong there. And um, he didn't really want to get into it, which is his prerogative. That's fine, I guess. Uh Elsewhere, yeah, I mean, I think guys just felt like they needed to just change the mood, you know, and 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 they did. 
they couldn't go into that bye week with that stink of five straight losses hanging on them, you know, and have a whole nother week of sort of negativity hanging over them and, and, and try to get back up to go play Michigan when this one, these entire two weeks would be about, you know, how, how bad Michigan's going to beat them, you know, if they had lost that game. Right. So absolutely much needed. Um, and we'll see, you know, is it, is it a turning point to get them to a bowl game and to sort of salvage something out of the season? Or is it, was it just a one day, you know, feel good thing. Like I, I used the analogy last night on another show, like, was it just like the bowl of ice cream late night before bed that makes you feel good? Or was it like the real, like balanced, healthy meal God. that actually, you know, good one. gets some things turned around for you and is actually what your body needs. And there were some, some answers found moving forward to, uh, to try to turn this thing around. That's a great point. And yeah, Hey, look, just like you said, just like we all know by now, you get to sit on this for two weeks before the next game. Do you have any insight of what happens during the bye week actually though, Steven? Like, is it just practice as usual? Are they actually taking a rest or like what, what does happen during this bye week? If you could lend any insight of what's going on inside the program right now. Yeah, I tried to, uh, tried to find out what the schedule was exactly. I didn't get an answer back yet, but uh, I know today um, coaches are out on the road recruiting. I saw Mel Tucker okay. uh, was on a plane, I think last night, actually. Um, yeah, most of the assistants, if not all, are out somewhere uh, doing recruiting. I don't think they won't be gone all week. I don't think um, it's possible. I think the guys are, that are here are going to be doing uh, weightlifting, conditioning type of stuff for at least a couple of days, maybe like Wednesday, Thursday or Friday. Gotcha. They might do like a walkthrough and like one or two light practices or something and sort of make it a long preparation week for Michigan, but they're not going to go like today would be their first fully padded practice and everything. And then tomorrow would be a big hitting day. And Wednesday, they, uh, they, another one Thursday, they do their walkthrough. So I, I think they'll probably get together and do some things. Um, but with the staff, I don't know how many days exactly the staff is going to be out on the road to begin with. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, point blank, how miserable are, are these next two weeks going to be on the internet? Cause look here, you're an esteemed journalist. You, you don't pick a side here, but you do follow a lot from both sides. I'm sure you're going to be in the crosshairs just listening to the bickering between the two fan bases, which I may or may not participate in. So sorry ahead of time, but like, is this, is this the worst two weeks of the year? Let's, let's just ask the question. I'll stop beating around the bush. Is this the worst two weeks of the year, Steven? Cause I this think it week is. shouldn't be that bad <laughs> next week. Probably we'll get there. Um, yeah. We'll see what I, it's, it's always determined by, you know, like what the, the unexpected, right? I mean, I saw JJ McCarthy said something about like, we're going to bring Paul home or I can't wait to get Paul okay. home last week. So had gotcha. a little, you know, minor, you know, spark there. Uh, you know, somebody lock Braylon Edwards in a closet, make sure he doesn't do anything crazy or, or anything. He's our best shot. He, honestly, yeah. he's, he's our, he's our best guy these next two weeks here. Uh, that, that man always delivers when it's rivalry week for. Yeah. I'm getting a lot of griping yeah. about uh, Michigan has hosted both night games now in the series and MSU. They get every good time MSU. slot, but that's okay. I'm not bitter about it. That, that's fine. No, it's yeah, cool. They so get every that's, time I think the, the major gripe of the week this week and then next week, maybe we'll get more trash talk focused and, and whatnot. And, and yeah. all that. Um, yeah. I don't know. I can't recall a time where both teams have had buys going into it. Um, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just misremembering. I, I've stayed yeah. tight at plenty of times I can remember. And I think Michigan has at least a handful that I can recall, but both of them being on a buy right before that's, that could be something new or interesting. It's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. No and look, I mean, I'll just, I, I think Michigan's a really good team. Like, yeah, I know that there's been, um, there's been questions about them, but I think they've answered every test so far like all right they beat all these losers you know well can they go on the road yes can they mm -hmm. beat somebody decent penn state comes in there they blow the doors off them yes you know so every every question people have they've kind of answered 
you know, I'm not saying they're flawless or that we're going to run the table in the big time or anything like that, but uh, they have been impressive. And I think they've now they've backed up sort of um, that early hype that they got. And this uh, they can they can um, they can go a long way when you've got an offensive line like that. You know, you'll sort of see polar opposites in this game. Of course. Um, and that being said, though, the way they want to play, I mean, they're not going to hit you over the top for 80, you know, repeatedly like Ohio State would or slice mm-hmm. you up in the passing game like a like a Washington. They, they do play more of that. Um, Titan in a phone booth type of game like Wisconsin. So with that in that regard, like I give Michigan State a small outside shot here. I know we have more time to talk about this later and everything, but that's yeah. just sort of my early read on it. Is like Michigan style plays into Michigan State's hands a little more than if they were a true like hurry up spread, throwing the ball all over you um, type of type of team. So I, I, I would I am not predicting Michigan State to win this game. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know if there's anything that could happen in these next two weeks that would change my mind on that. But oh, I do a meteor think strike, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> P- positive Maybe. PED test. Uh, I, I, Michigan finding more positive COVID tests that they could use at their uh, dispense. Like that's, that's, that's yeah, all I that's, can uh, think Yeah, of. but I'm looking forward to it. Um, I think the night game will be fun. I wasn't around for the last one, so uh, should be pretty good. I, you know, I wish that they could have. We could have had the the heavyweight stakes of last year involved with the night game. Um, did I just lose you? All right, I'm the show. I'm the. I guess I'm the host here, folks. Um, Matt just dropped off uh, unexpectedly out of the stream. Uh, I'm gonna assume something happened uh, technically on his end. So, all right. Well, that was an eventful finish to today's episode. Uh, we, we went through it all. We went through the highs of the win, the lows of the coaching decisions at the end, and also the mystery of why my computer just crashed mid-conversation. How fun is this? Keep it tuned tomorrow. I'm sure my laptop will be working great by then. Got John Garcia of Sports Illustrated recruiting on tomorrow. Um, Steven, you're the all-time best. Thanks a lot for dropping by. Where can the folks find you? Uh, SpartanTailgate.com is the easiest way. I'm on Twitter at StevenM underscore Brooks. Um, those two places is where you can find all the stuff you need, basically. Dang, look at that. Enjoy the rest of your bye week, Steven. Same to everyone else, too. uh, But hey, even though it's the bye week, we're still going to be doing this five days a week here. Until then, love you all. Go green.